How to dream, cowboys. Welcome, everybody, to the HBO Boys podcast. We recap and review HBO shows. Today, it's Lovecraft Country, episode six, Meet Me in Daegu, directed by Helen Shaver and written by Misha Green, as always, but this time with Kevin Lau. And I'm James, and uh, this here's Ryan. Ryan, you're just playing Overwatch. Did you win? I did win the last one, and the two before that we don't have to speak of. (laughs) Helen Shaver. It's a very prolific career as both an actress and a director. She's been in a ton of stuff, none of it too noteworthy. In my opinion... Her what biggest role, say? her biggest role, is as Littlefoot's mother yes, in the Land Before Time. Yeah, I was about to jump <laughs> through this goddamn microphone and bitch slap you. Not too noteworthy. Littlefoot's mom, one of the saddest deaths. Like Bambi's mom can suck it. That role is so iconic. Like I can, I can hear in my head her voice from that oh, role. Like, yeah, she uh, ninety actress credits. 56 director's credits and BT Dubs six episodes of Vikings, the mm-hmm. show that Travis Fimmel is the star of, and we're also doing Raised by Wolves at the same time, and a Westworld episode, Past Pawn. She directed season three. It's the one where Maeve and Dolores fight with their yes, yes, respective which was a drones. Good fight. And it's also the episode with Jesse's backstory with his friend that's very sad. Actually, probably one of the better episodes of season three. It was one of the best episodes of season three. I mean, there was a (laughs) drone fight that had no stakes to it whatsoever. But what are you going to do? It's it's picking and choosing when you want to pick out good episodes. And by the way, uh, hey, James, I think Lovecraft Country is on a bit of a hot streak here. Yeah. This, I mean, the pattern so far with both Lovecraft and Raised by Wolves has been very good episode, piece of shit. Very good episode, piece of shit. You, you exaggerate. Not not the episodes you, that we dislike are not whole pieces of shit, but they're just, you know, they're not. I kind of thought they were not as <laughs> But yeah, this episode and the last episode after the national treasure i don't know if you don't want me to call it a piece of shit i guess i won't i'll just call it a disappointment like it's my son and it got an f on a test that it hid from me but yeah right. this is a one-off episode of lovecraft it feels this is their version of akane no mai or maybe even more accurate kixia which if you don't watch westworld our original namesake podcast about westworld are side episodes that stray from where the series has been to provide extra context and I believe Meet Me in Daegu had a lot more to do with the original plot than my examples, just because the story is based off a book that is purposely a maze that all comes together at the end. But it was nice to stop into a, like a foreign land and learn about a war I knew very little about because the American education system is subpar. And, uh, you know, it's like a shaman-based magic system I didn't know existed. Yeah, very interesting. And, and, and we will talk about it more. Uh, before we get started with the recap, guys, just to remind you, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash hboboys, where for a dollar a month you get bonus content and you can... Uh, hmm? You made a noise? Oh, I made the wah-wah-wah noise. It was okay. a noise of excitement. <laughs> you keep going, James. You keep doing... You're doing great. The promo is great. And our premium Discord chat, and we'll shout you out in the credits. So give that a look if you like this. It's just $1 a month. Go and do it. You can do it. I believe in you. 
So, Meet Me in Daegu is the only episode so far where, like, nobody from Chicago is a main character, at least for most of the episode. It takes place in 1950 in South Korea, or I don't even know if it's even officially South Korea yet, right? It's still regular Korea. And Jia is a young nursing student who loves musicals, and she's very pressured by her mom to bring men home, and you think... That means, like, bring men home to introduce to your mother as potential husbands. That's what you assume. Sure. She's played by Jamie Chung, a experienced actress who has never done a role a lot like this. She plays Mulan on Once Upon a Time, which uh, has a huge following. I've never seen the show. She's in things like Big Hero 6, The Gifted, Gotham, Eden... So this is, I think, a step onto a larger stage, and she does, in my opinion, a really good job. James, I have a question for you specifically, because we, I think, have a perspective on this particular episode of this particular show that not a lot of people will hear, which is you currently live in Korea. Mm -hmm. You have a Korean family. You are not Korean yourself. But you've lived there quite a while. You've lived in Asia for about a decade. So I have a few questions for you. Number one, uh-huh. we're about to learn about Kamihos, which is like a nine tails. It's a nine tailed fox. It's a myth that's in Chinese culture, Japanese culture, and Korean culture. Did you know about them prior to this episode? Of course I did, man. I've fucking seen 800 episodes of Naruto, right? So. <laughs> oh, no, no. I haven't seen any. You've seen eight. There are 800 I don't know if there are that many, but there's a ton. What is, well, you know, you can't just, how many characters have nine tails in so, Naruto? So the, the main character is possessed by a fox spirit, which manifests oh. itself in dangerous and violent ways. So familiar territory for me. Yeah. I will say the only time I've really heard of one is that in League of Legends slash Teamfight Tactics, there's a character named Ari, which is part of many a mage comp that I've used to string together in the past, which is based on a Kamiho. But yeah, I just look forward to your Korean tidbits of information. As always, this is a very educational podcast. It's not just comedy here, James. We're here to learn. Gia is a nursing student, and she is very envious of the more popular Youngja who is, you know, going out with a handsome doctor and all the other nurses are jealous. Together they go to a speed dating meetup where Gia just strikes out again and again, even with the guy who also is like a musical nerd, cannot make a connection. Yeah, they have a very specific love, both for Judy Garland, right? It seems really particular that she shouldn't have struck out that badly. And also... It's like the opposite of the Elizabeth Moss effect, where in Handmaid's Tale, they're trying to convince the audience that, no, 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 Elizabeth Moss is hot, and you think she's hot, and all the characters think she's hot. She's She is attractive. In this one, they're trying to convince us that Jamie Chung isn't attractive, and none of the dudes would pick her, and I was like, okay. I'm not incredibly convinced, but that's fine. Right. It's like in She's All That, where like, oh, this girl's got glasses and a ponytail. It's, yes. She's not an okay, but she's still a knockout. So like, <laughs> it doesn't matter <laughs> if she has glasses. Afterwards, Jia, who couldn't find a date, and, and Youngja, who's not interested in any of her dates, end up going to the bar. And she meets eyes with a handsome looking man, who she takes back to her like pretty nice house where she lives with her mom, into her bedroom. Which, she lights one candle, and then all the candles instantly light up, and I was like, is this a thing from the 50s, lighting up Canton, or is this magic? (laughs) That's goddamn Fox magic, James. 
the guy, more horny than concerned about the fire magic, gets in and, and they have sex. But as soon as the dude finishes, very gross, hairy tentacles emerge from every orifice of Gia's body and impale this guy. And she reads his mind and then rends him a pile of flesh. So... She's not just trying to bring guys home because her mother would like her to marry off and leave the house. She is, in fact, consuming 100 souls to become human again. Right. And and, and it's not just like Naruto. It's also like the seminal television work, uh, The 100 Good Deeds of Eddie McDowd. Oh, where... <laughs> a classic. Instead of doing good deeds, she has to seduce and destroy 100 men in order to free herself from being possessed by the Kumiho fox spirit, which her mother summoned in order to rid herself of her wicked husband who had been abusing Gia as a little girl. However, it was kind of a Faustian bargain. She went to see a shaman in order to summon the fox spirit to get revenge on her husband, but the fox spirit did so by possessing her daughter. Yeah, but her daughter was dead. Did you miss that part where the husband was the cause of the daughter's death? So the fox spirit took over the dead girl's body and it was like, okay, you get a hundred souls, and at the end of a hundred souls, I'll give you back a, a live version of your daughter. Okay. It was a pretty good deal. That or being dead forever. And she's already at 98. So she's doing, doing a pretty good job of secretly murdering nearly a hundred men and, and, you know, rounding home base. Right. She's taken 98 men home, but she couldn't get one blind date. Okay. Later on, Gia's walking with Youngja and she's telling her about how her mother is really desperate to change her, but she's not so sure that she wants to go through with it. Youngja seems to relate. As they're speaking, an angry mob hangs a suspected communist in the street. I don't think they had time to arraign any evidence or anything. They were just like, this guy's a communist spy. Hang him. Summarily execute him. And so they do. And there are American GIs watching and not stopping. And, and Youngja's really upset about this. She says she doesn't think it's fair to kill people just because they're different or they have different opinions. And that, that she thinks Gia ought not just change herself only to please her mom. This is backed up by the fact that, I mean, it's conjecture, but the evidence would suggest that Youngja appeared to have feelings for Jiha, as well as her family is of the communist variety. So... She has two things that make her different, both of which she is lying about to the general public to stay alive. Gia takes one of the GIs home and off screen rips him apart. Got him. 99, baby. And I wonder if Gia, because her English is really good, did she just study English all her life? I think in this period of Korea, the language young people would have been learning, you know, before and during the war would have been Japanese and not English. So I wonder if through absorbing this guy's soul and memories, Gia learned to speak English. Yeah, it was either that the fox came with Rosetta Stone already and knew mm -hmm. all languages as part of the fox's goddamn fox magic, or through sucking out souls, she has gained all of these languages, which is a fun little side effect. She's a little linguist now. Gia then argues with her mother and says that she doesn't want to complete the 100 soul challenge. 
and she doesn't <laughs> want to uh, give her daughter's body back. She'd like to stay in this life and not move on to whatever the next stage of Akumiho's evolution is. And she says that she doesn't even remember being Jia and that none of the daughter is left in her. And we're not so sure if this is true or if she's just trying to hurt her mother. But she also blames her mom for uh, what happened to Jia with her ex-husband, which uh, we don't know the circumstances of that. They may, that may also not have been a fair accusation. We don't know. No, it seems as though what happened between Jia before her death that was most likely caused by the father, how much the actions going on were nefarious as fuck, but they seem to be pretty dark and pretty bad. Right. I'm just saying we don't have any evidence to suggest that, like, the mom was complicit other than what, you know, the murdering fox spirit thinks about it. No, she's just trying her best. She, in fact, tried her so hard that she put a fox spirit in her dead daughter to bring her back okay that's not some normal ass shit several nurses are taken to an american army base and they are accused of having been leaking info as they're treating american soldiers and and uh, you know assumably giving them letters and stuff or, or or treating officers or what have you and so the nurses are accused of leaking info to the northern communist army and they are summarily executed by a sergeant and his lieutenant who happens to be Tick. And they're about to kill Jia when Youngja confesses and is, like, taken away to be tortured. I actually jumped when the yeah. first nurse was shot in the head. I did not see that coming. It truly surprised me. And I'm talking about this a few times of an episode now in the Hunter Hunter podcast that I'm doing because it also has, like, truly surprising moments you don't see coming. And this was one of those. And I, it was the second moment of this episode that that happened, you know, minus the Kamiho having tails come out of her goddamn face and exploding a person. But as that happened, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not cool. And then that sergeant's gun jams. And so the second nurse that was shot was actually by Tick, who walks over, has a very blank face, looks like he's a ghost of himself, and shoots one of Jiha's other friends in the head as, you said, Youngja confesses that she is the communist spy and is taken away. And Jiha doesn't know what is about to happen to her, but it's probably not going to be positive and this is a dark turn for tick's character because we assumed he did some bad things in the war i did not think he was committing war crimes and killing civilians no yeah no killing innocent civilians the the two girls he killed uh before taking young joe away assumably completely innocent so on this comedy podcast (laughs) i i i shudder to have this like exact kind of discussion, but the internet was really torn about this. So there are two sides. I, I, I'm sure if there's the third, you can let me know. The first side is, okay, so Tick has proven himself to be a loyal dude who is troubled because of the things he's done in his past. And the things he's done in his past is this episode. You've seen them live now. He's shooting innocent people because his sergeant tells him to, which I assume if he says no, there will be consequences, right? You'll most likely be punished and put in jail yourself. 
saying no to your higher ups in a military setting is not usually something that you do but also you know you say that the same thing about like the ss who were not saying no to their bosses and then at the end of the holocaust people were like you can't just say you were told to do it bro (laughs) and they were like oh come on right it's like not only should tick already know that's not a valid excuse to make right because the nuremberg trials already happened Right, so... And to be fair, he's not the one making that argument. It's the internet being like, wait, is Tick shitty? Like, can I like Tick anymore? Can I root Tick, for him No, Tick all? later says in the episode, I was just following orders. He says that verbatim. Oh, good. It's like, good oh, stuff. so where'd we hear that before? Like, <laughs> Yeah. So how much guilt can cleanse these actions, if any? And mm-hmm. so, like, you know, there are just some people on the internet who shoo it away because they're like, no, I like the show. And liking Tick is a large part of liking the show. Like, how can you enjoy this show and enjoy Tick's ride when he's not redeemable to you at all? When he can't grow as a person and you can't accept him as a person because he just shot an innocent woman in the head, which, to be fair, is pretty fucked up. And then the other side is just like, ah, TV show, fine. But I think another part of it is like, you know, we're Americans watching this, and the Korean War is the war I know the least about by far. Right. And and that's not a unique thing about you. The Korean War is often called the Forgotten War, right? Because it happened in between the much more famous and much more openly reported on world war ii and the vietnam war right right and the korean war is messy in that you know not everything that south korea and america did during the korean war was a good thing no and there was no clear measure of success or victory it's like kind of still technically going on right yeah i watched a video this week after i watched this episode and i was like i have to learn some more things about the korean war and there was just this video where they were like yeah there were orders given to shoot any civilian that moves including children and that order was rampant throughout the entire and then like the internet responds you know this is just what happens during war war is war man Mm. (laughs) to which i don't know me personally i hear that and i'm like "Mm." I, I, I don't, I'm just not sure about that. But to be fair, again, like, it's just so weird. I don't have a perspective of, like, a soldier in this scenario. And also, by the way, I don't know if the perspective of a soldier or the perspective of me in this uh, is entertaining on a comedy podcast is actually what I'm thinking about the most, which is selfish, but, you know. Right. And, and you know, a lot of bad things went down in the Korean War. There were a lot of massacres. Um, yeah. A lot of North Korean civilians got massacred. There was a, I, I'm now blanking on, on the specific name of this massacre, but the the United States Air Force was, like, trying to bomb a communist military installation and instead killed hundreds of South Korean civilians. Jesus um, Christ. Yeah. So, a confusing war in the first place, and then also a very dark war, and I think that's why it is the Forgotten War. People would rather, they have a hard time thinking about it. Because logistically and then also emotionally. For any of you who just pressed go ahead 15 seconds eight times until we were done talking about this. (laughs) Hey, welcome back. But also, by the way, this is like the conceit of the entire show, right? They're asking, what is scarier? The reality of the Korean War and how terrible it was. And by the way, the 10 to 20 minutes of terrible things you saw about the Korean War in Lovecraft Country don't even begin to make you understand the reality of the situation. Or a a nine-tailed fox that bangs bros and explodes them into little pieces is the sci-fi that lovecraft came up with or the reality of how humankind is awful to each other scarier 
the whole conceit of the show is humans are the fucking worst. It's way scarier. Getting back to the story. I feel like in the, in the <laughs> Hamilton, can we get back to politics, please? <laughs> Gia sees that Tick has been brought wounded to her hospital. He's in terrible physical and emotional condition. He's trying to read, but his glasses are all broken. Oh, my God. And she decides in that moment that she's going to take her revenge and claim Tick as her hundredth soul. And she I get tells that. this to her mother, and her mother is quite pleased. As you said, there was a moment where Tick was trying to read, but his glasses were broken in the blast, which is, I, I call it a my glasses moment. You know that old story where the last person's alive, finally alone, like they've always wanted to read their books, mm-hmm. and then their there glasses was, there break? There was time now. It's not fair. <laughs> right. So, like, I wear glasses, right? And I'm blind as a goddamn bat for reference without them. Mm-hmm. And I think way too much about an apocalyptic scenario where my glasses break because I'm just, like, dead in that scenario, right? I don't no. live a day or two when I'm completely blind, wandering around, and the giant eagle spider that has spelled out the end of the world nabs me out of the center of the road because they're nocturnal, and I'm trying to see, and it's all blurry in the dark. And then, you know, I'm just murdered and destroyed. I felt like that when Tick couldn't read his book because his glasses broke in the blast, like... Oh, should I feel bad for this war criminal that he can't read? I do. Well, here's the thing. I'm not going to defend Tick's actions in the war, but I'm, I would say that, like, what he did in that scene where he killed those innocent women, that's not something like he just got off the boat and we're like, welcome to the base. Here's your first job, right? Take this. He's clearly already an extremely broken individual by what he's done in the war at that point already. And yeah, you, you even said he's got, like, a dead-eyed look when he's yeah, doing it. Yeah, he didn't j- jog over. He didn't skip over with a smile on his face. Obviously, he didn't like it, which doesn't make the action any better, but it does provide context. Like, you have Mm -hmm. to make your own choice if you think he's redeemable or not at this point. I still think he is redeemable. In fact, before this moment, before this episode, I thought Tick was boring, and I still kind of do. Like, this, I think, was also supposed to make him more interesting. And while it makes it contextually more interesting, I'm not so sure it makes the character that much more interesting. While G is caring for Tick, he asks her to read the ending of his book, which he can't because of his glasses, as we mentioned, The Count of Monte Cristo. And she tries to be a jerk and spoil the ending of the book to him, but he apparently already knows the ending and is like, no, you got it wrong. That's the movie version. The book is better. That's what everyone always says. Yeah. This book is Montrose's favorite, which is why Tick is trying to read it once more. And this begins the road of softening Gia's feelings towards the person who for sure murdered her best friend. So I am putting together a Call of Cthulhu campaign, which takes place in the 1920s. And so I'm trying to be very careful and to not add any historical errors or anachronisms into it, right? Sure. Just for my own pleasure of trying to make it somewhat historically accurate. Uh-huh. And in the in the next scene, Tick is like hanging out in the garden with, with one of his friends. And his friend says to G.I., it's like, you got any more spoilers you want to give us? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure they weren't using that expression in the 1950s. <laughs> no, that seems like a... <laughs> like a modern phrase uh, written by a person who was under 40 years old. Yeah. Did it suspend your disbelief when he said spoilers? Or were you just like, that's stupid, moving on? 
No, I, well, I just thought it was funny. I'm like, well, that's an yeah. anachronism. It's like, oh, <laughs> you got any more spoilers for this book? I, uh, I really want to read it. I'm getting low-key nutty trying to read this fleek book. <laughs> <laughs> this book is fucking beast, Doug. Gia talks with Tick and his Korean-American friend about American racial politics. Tick's friend doesn't think he would actually be better off moving to his, you know, ancestral home of Korea because they would only see him as an outsider the same way he is seen in 1950s America. Yeah, that conversation was pretty cool. Interesting, right? Yeah, because I think he's right. Yes, and 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 I saw that firsthand. I had a good friend, this isn't in Korea, but... but an example of a similar situation when I was in Vietnam. I was teaching. I had a friend, a co-worker. She was Vietnamese-American. Grew up in America. First language, English. Didn't even speak Vietnamese, right? But uh, we were teaching at the same school, and her, the parents of her students would complain. We're like, what? We don't want this Vietnamese girl teaching English. We want, you know, an American teaching English. And, and, and you know, the staff of the school are like, okay, yes, she looks Vietnamese and has a Vietnamese name. I guarantee you she's American. <laughs> God. Yeah. Weird. That's such weird. Rever- it's reverse racism is just racism. It turns out that while Tick's friend was drafted and had no choice about coming to Korea, Tick actually volunteered. Mm. And later on that night, as Gia's reading the book to him, Tick offers that he volunteered as a way to escape his painful upbringing by a father who never accepted him, which something Gia can relate to. As she is not a mortal being, but yet... A nine-tailed fox who destroys people post-sexual intercourse. So, incredibly relatable. And Dick is talking about Montrose, a person that we're pretty sure at this point is not his actual father. Gia and Tick arrange to have a date, but when Gia goes to meet him outside the base, he's not there. Tick's friend leads her into the base by passing her off as a comfort woman, which is another huge political can of worms, especially in terms of Korean-Japanese politics. Yeah, you know, You know what? You know what? Yeah. Maybe we skip over that one. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe we jump to the side, maybe. Uh, but, I mean, it just goes to show you, they are not shying away from anything in Lovecraft Country, really. No, no, they're fucking taking their swings, looking towards the stands and pointing at it like, yeah, I just hit a home run, baby. He takes her inside the base where she finds Tick alone uh, in, a, in a tent where he has set up a little movie night date. Which actually totally charms Gia and seems to win her over. Tick basically invented Netflix and chill. Mm-hmm. And he says that to her. He's like, you want to... <laughs> <laughs> you want to film real and chill? You know, the, it's so stupid. The only thing I can think of is just like, Gia's blue coat in this part was so cool. <laughs> During a love scene in the movie, they have their first kiss. And then she convinces him to come home with her. They start to undress, but then Tick wants to slow her down. He confesses that actually he's a virgin, and he feels like he's fallen in love with her. Before her monster tail tentacles can emerge, she chases him out, and then her mother comes in, and Gia declares that she loves Tick, and that she doesn't want to lose him or lose herself. And she's not going to carry through with the 100 sacrifices. And her mother reminds her, you know, this guy, maybe you love him. He killed your best friend. And now you're portraying not only me, but their memory of her as well. Yeah, the Kamiho has fallen in love. This is something new for the nine-tailed fox. And they don't know how to deal with it. In actual Korean tradition, the Kumiho is more like just like a succubus. It's just like a beautiful woman spirit who tricks you into trying to bang it but then instead of banging you it eats your heart sure but if you don't try to bang it 
and you fall in love, and the Kumiho finds true love, it turns into a real girl. Mm, like Pinocchio. Yes. Exactly like Pinocchio. When she lies, does her snout get larger? Yeah, her tail gets longer. I don't know. <laughs> mm, that makes more sense, yeah. That's on brand. The next day, Gia confronts Tick and tells him everything about, you know, how he actually murdered her best friend and was close to murdering her. And <laughs> she reveals that she actually had plans to take revenge on him, but dropped it at the last minute because she now has developed romantic feelings for him. She goes on to say that even though they are both murderers who have done terrible things, they still have time to choose the path of redemption. Tick at some point says, you know, I'd like to meet this best friend of yours. And then I heard in my head the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme song. Mm -hmm. They go back to the movie tent where they have sex. Again, just like in uh, episode three, Tick blows it like instantly. Maybe like five you, seconds. What is wrong with you? What is, you are so... Uh, like, perhaps I just have a bit more empathy for the boy. You're just so over it on him <laughs> for blowing his load so quickly. It is, it is, it is weird. funny to me. <laughs> is it funny? You're very weirdly defensive about fast blowing. How dare you? The next day, she tells her mother that she has chosen a life with Tick and refuses to move on. And her mother points out that that may be what she has decided. However, Tick may disagree once he figures out that she's a monster. And she has of like, that will never happen to me. That would be too much of a dramatic irony. It was at this moment that while watching the show, I was like, this is a good episode. Like, really good. A fun hour of television. And by fun, saying fun makes you think like, you know, we just talked about war and war crimes. And so like, when I say fun, I'm just like entertaining to watch as television needs to be. But at this point, I was like, I do miss Letty though. She really carries this show. Like, even if this episode is great, Letitia's presence is missed. Gia and Tick spend the winter together, and it's almost time for Tick to finish up his tour. He says that he could perhaps try to stay as a soldier in Korea. He could sign up for another tour, or she could come with him back to Chicago. Uh, So, you know, two options there. They have sex again, but this time her tails emerge, and she, like, almost attacks Tick, but is able to restrain herself. But she still is able to read his mind for a bit. I mean, she kind of attacks him. She has two tails on both of his eyes. She's holding him up. And you're right, yeah, she starts reading his mind, and then there is a nine-scene flashback that I watched at .25 speed. I'd like to go over it in detail. Mm. Well, we see Tick's mom for the first time. Yeah, exactly. Scene one, Atticus flies a kite with a woman who is probably his mother, and is that D, the woman that George danced with in episode one, question mark? Scene two, Tick reading like he said he did, like he does all the time. Scene three, Montrose beating Tick with a belt, probably because he stayed up too late reading. Scene four, Tick holding Youngja while she is tortured and getting her teeth pulled out of her head, which is disconcerting scene five tick having sex with a girl in florida now this is post jamie chung's character jiha kind of coming out of it and then going back in with a white flash so we assume it's actually the future Mm -hmm. tick having sex with the second girl he's ever had sex with and that is in segregated florida before scene six where tick leaves florida to go to chicago the people in these memories are sometimes looking into the camera which is weird by the way scene seven Tick being baptized. Scene 8, Letty is over him looking down at him. And scene 9, Tick is strapped to some shit 
and then dying and then dead. Gia tries to tell him what she's seen and tells him that he should not return home or he will die. And he runs away in terror before she can explain anything to him. Right, and she's going to have a tough time explaining it in the first place. This is the first time that she's ever seen the future, too. It's also the first time where she began the process of exploding a person, and it just, like, didn't happen all the way. Gia and her mother seem to reconcile after this, and they go up a mountain to see a shaman. They ask the shaman if the things that she saw about the future must come to pass, and the shaman kind of disregards that question and says that the life and the death of mortals need not concern her as she will bear witness to countless deaths in her lifetime. That's ominous. And by the way, all of this leads back to the fact that at the end of last episode, the ring that Tick has that is part of the Order of the Dawn that says die on it, he decodes that and then calls Jiha and is like, how did you know I'm going to die? You said that. And then she was like, I fucking told you. You shouldn't have left, idiot. Also, James, there Mm -hmm. were so many dong opportunities in this episode. Right. And none none of them happened. And then I think is Jiha's the only female lead who has had like nudity in the show so far oh no 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 ruby did as well okay yeah but not full on so i i, I, I thought this was, yeah kind of glancing i thought this was going to be the kind of show without nudity and so i was a little surprised to see it in this episode i mean there was nudity in the flashback the girl that tick was having sex with in florida during scene five she was also topless not that it's really notable because it's hbo i just thought that that's how they were taking this show but helen shaver came in and she's like we gotta sex this up yeah except for i think perhaps it's the same conceit of the show where they're like okay what's scarier sci-fi or reality and this episode which had a lot to do with sex was just like you know what's hotter intimacy or nudity or you know ripping someone apart with your tails and i vote for number three so Again, Lovecraft Country is at its strongest when it's trying to be like vignettes or an anthology. And so again, we got a really nice episode like that, just like last episode, just like the Haunted House episode, just like the first episode. It is the serialized parts of the show that are the least interesting and the self-contained parts that are the most interesting. And so that's made for an excellent episode. And, and, and you know, my wife isn't watching Lovecraft Country, but, you know, she's Korean. So I thought I would show her maybe just this episode as maybe a way to get her into it. Mm-hmm. How did it go? I haven't done it yet. I'll, like, I'll report oh. back. Cool. (laughs) Well, I think next episode, we're finally going to get the Hippolyta storyline that we've been waiting for quite a while to get. We're Mm going to be able to check back in with Ruby and Letty will be back around and a tick that we see that has a bit more context than she did before. In the trailer, it shows Hippolyta in a, I mean... Uh, I don't know if it's Spartan, Athenian, Roman, some sort of ancient armor for some reason. So she's going to either be going back in time or into some sort of dream world. And so like there are, I'm watching the trailer right now and oh my God. Oh, there was an explosion. I can't wait till next episode. You know, like so we have two episodes in a row. They were really good. 
breaking the pattern of Lovecraft Country where it was good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. Can we go three in a row, James? Do you think we will? Yeah, and and similarly with Raised by Wolves, where the first episode was amazing, the second episode pretty good, three, four, and five really dragging, and then episode six was quite good. So I'm interested to see how both these shows shake out in the end. I guess we're probably Mm -hmm. getting the ending to Raised by Wolves first. We're getting that in in like two weeks. Yeah, for sure. I, I would say Lovecraft is now getting better because we're entering the third act. And as we've talked about multiple times, we think that the ending, especially because this is based off of a book, is a easier landing to stick. And, you know, we still have to deal with Christina slash William. That has to be at least slightly satisfying for the ending to be satisfying itself. But we're entering a third act of a book, which usually, you know, picks up pace, makes the conflicts more dangerous more thought-provoking and hopefully like we've said multiple times the path to the end of this being good i think is pretty clear and raised by wolves is not just not that way it just got a second season i don't even know i don't think lovecraft country has been renewed yet yeah it hasn't it's strange to me that raised by wolves got a second season before lovecraft country because i think i mentioned this in the raised by wolves episode a lot of people are talking about lovecraft country and nobody's talking about raised by wolves no none at all i've heard nobody in real life you just told me our friend brian before this is is watching raised by wolves i was like really anyone else is is watching this show other than us i felt like it was only us well to be fair there are people who listen to the podcast maybe they just like us a lot james and our cool sexy voices (laughs) that's probably yeah that's probably the case yeah that is I have deduced it. I'm a deducer, dude. So thanks for listening, everyone. If you're just listening, it means a lot. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can find us on social media. He's at Westwood Ryan. I'm at James Watches Man. You could also leave us positive reviews on whatever podcast ask you are listening to this on. And you could really pass the show around by word of mouth to anyone who you think would might like it. That's how we've been growing our listener base since the very beginning. And if you'd like to financially support the show, find us on Patreon at HBO Boys. We produce bonus content twice a month, as well as a Discord chat for patrons only, and we'll read your name out at the credits of each of our mainstay episodes. Yeah, like I'm about to do right now. And by the way, it used to be just two podcasts a month, but right now I'm watching Hunter Hunter and doing a solo pod about it, and I am ripping episodes out because that show is really good, and I can't watch more of it until I do the podcast episode. Like, I can't watch episode seven before I do the podcast episode of episode six. So it's really just because the show is so good that I'm doing them so quickly, and it is because of y'all patrons making it possible, and that is Hardboiled Greg, Nicole, Day 11 Podcast, James Watch my yong uh ryan said he'd watch it for me this week hmm. and i have scrum brah cliff wilding hello underscore yo atheist of unstoppable chris wood brent ginn day 11 westworld craig bakaman john jers major woody and carol andreas thank you for the money you guys are great good job <laughs> I feel, I'm- join us i think sorry guys we're gonna be dark next week because it is speaking of korea the korean holiday of chuseok which is kind of like korean thanksgiving and my kids will not be in school they will be at home and i won't be at work i'll be at home taking care of kids all week and so uh there won't be time for me to record ryan will still be here for you though uh and 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 we will be back in two weeks with probably 
two episodes of Lovecraft Country and what, three episodes of Raised by Wolves? Yeah, I think we're going to break it down where we do three episodes at one time for Raised by Wolves and then do a, like a finale special for Raised by Wolves at the end. And then for the next two to three Sundays, pretty much every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., a new Hunter Hunter episode is going to be coming out on SoundCloud or out on our main channel. Since we're going dark, maybe it's a good time. Why don't we unlock one of our Patreon episodes next week? For the, oh, shit! Just for the fans. Yeah! We should probably unlock relationship advice, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are going to like that. Neat. I like when we do this inside baseball at the end of the show. I like to imagine how no one is listening to this, so we could really say anything. Fucking nobody's here, man. <laughs> just you and me, baby. Uh I liked how you ended the Raised by Wolves. Was it the Raised by Wolves podcast? Yeah, last week with actual Mozart. You said you're going to end it with Mozart, and then you actually did. It's like you're yeah. a goddamn magician. Yeah, uh, it's crazy things you can do when, when you know, it, it, uh, uh, maybe you don't know how podcasts work, guys. This is not live, okay? Ryan and I uh, recorded this days before you're listening to it. No, every time you press play, we are standing <laughs> ready at our computers being like, okay. In Seattle, Washington, let's press play in three, two, howdy, dream cowboys. That's a good joke to end on. Okay, bye. I love you. Bye.